Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. After falling short at home against the Vikings, the Bears take their shiny new rookie quarterback on the road to take on the Ravens, hoping that that new quarterback smell will help propel them to their first road win since 2015. Can Mitchell get us that W, or will our road woes continue? Matt Stevens from Ravens Wire joins us on the Week 6 Preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Will that shiny new quarterback smell do us any better than it did on Monday night when uh, basically it's like I like I'd always feared the team around him failed him on on Monday night and uh, going into a into as good if not better team in Baltimore this Sunday. What's going on, everybody? Larry, back to week six preview episode of the Chicago Bears review, and we have. Matt Stevens from Ravens Wire from uh, USA Today coming in to uh, talk with us. Had a nice conversation and, um, you know, you listen to him and he talks a lot about the Ravens and how much trouble they've had with injuries. And, um, you know, when you listen to him talk about that and you'll hear me say it towards the end of the interview, actually, that um, when you hear him talk about the Ravens and the difficulties that they've had keeping guys healthy, keeping them on the field, Wondering, you know, what if and what could have been and wondering, you know, is that why uh, Harbaugh has been getting extra years instead of maybe being held accountable for the mediocre records they've had since they won the Super Bowl in 2012? Or, you know, when do you start to point the finger at Harbaugh at, you know, you know, the fact that can't keep most of his roster healthy that they're on pace to set some kind of record for the amount of injured reserve players in a season. He said they have 18 on IR right now, you know, going into week six of the season, they've got more guys on injured reserve now than most teams will have all season, you know? And, um, you know, when you, when you hear him talk about that, you know, you, you might feel a slight, slight chill down your spine because it sounds so familiar. Uh, with, uh, you know, what could have been and the injuries we suffered and so on and so forth. But uh, outside of that, had a good talk about the Bears and the Ravens and what the Ravens have been up to. Got off to that 2-0 and start and then had that rough game in, in London uh, against the Jaguars. And, um, you know, what uh, when we talked to Jeff Hartman preparing for the Steeler game uh, in Week 3, we, we talked about, you know, could this Bear game be somewhat of a trap game going into that big division rivalry game against the uh, against the Ravens in week four. And, you know, he was like, no, I don't think so. If anything, it's a reason not to get sloppy because we know we have a tough week next week against the Ravens and so on and so forth. And then 
not only did the Bears beat the Steelers, but the Jaguars trounced the Ravens in London. I mean, they didn't just beat them. They whooped them 44 to 7, the score uh, in London. We talk about that and the following week against the Steelers, that big AFC North matchup that was more served about, you know, which one of these teams is going to get back on track uh, kind of thing after the embarrassing losses that both suffered the week before. And the Ravens come out on the short end of that, but bounce back last week against the Raiders. And we talk about that game uh, as well, among other things. So had a real good talk with uh, with Matt. Enjoyed having him uh, on the show. So real quick, speaking of injuries, uh, we'll just go ahead and get to it right away. Um, the good news is it's it's not a long list, you know, like when we'd see, you know, double digit names, 12, 13 guys. Uh, on the list at, at one time that it's only six names on the list right now. Uh, Marcus Cooper didn't practice yesterday on Wednesday was limited today. Horonis Grassu limited both days, Wednesday and Thursday with that hand injury. Marcus Cooper had the back injury that kept him out against Minnesota. Uh, good news that Nick Kwiatkowski is practicing again. The limited though he may be, he is back on the practice field. That DNP for did not practice is not next to his name anymore. He's getting some reps now uh, in practice, so we could be seeing him back soon. I don't, still don't know what the time frame is. He's still kind of got that indefinite time frame wrapped around it, but uh, you know the fact that he's practicing three weeks after the injury in Tampa Bay, four weeks, it's uh, you know promising to say the least. So hopefully we'll see him back out there soon. Also returning this week is the no longer suspended Danny Trevathan. So we'll have him back out on the field uh, against the Ravens. That'll be helpful. Uh, continuing with the injury list, uh, Kyle Long did not practice today. It was called a, and I quote, a maintenance day uh, for the ankle by John Fox. So more of a, what, what Lovey used to call a veteran's day off, uh, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, Long did not practice. He was not on the injury list on Wednesday. So, I guess they were just, you know, letting him rest it a bit. Uh, John Timu has not practiced yet, had that ugly injury against the Vikings. It, it was diagnosed on Tuesday as a high ankle sprain. And, I mean, I thought I would saw the man Terry ligament in his knee. He's on the injury report as an ankle slash knee right now. I mean, that's one high ankle sprain when it works its way into the knee. So, uh, but nonetheless, he has not practiced yet uh, this week, and I, he he won't probably not for another few weeks. The, the 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 tweet that I saw said high ankle sprain out 2 to 4 weeks. I hope that's true. Uh for his sake and for ours. You know, he he's you know, undrafted free agent or not, you know, the guy when he's been out there, he's done pretty well. So I mean, hopefully he gets back sooner rather than later. And then uh Stop me if you've heard this before. Marcus Wheaton is hurt. And uh, just you got to keep a sense of humor about these things. I mean, if you don't, you're just going to go out of your mind. And it's um, it's a groin injury. Um, I'm thinking he did it in practice because he wasn't on the injury list on Wednesday, was listed as limited today. And when I was seeing the tweets earlier today, um, it said he's out four to six weeks with the groin. He has a tear in his groin out four to six weeks. Um, if I'm not mistaken, 
uh, he still hasn't officially caught a pass for us yet. So um, we're paying him, what, $6 million? I think he was guaranteed. It's a two-year, $11 million deal, and he's got $6 million coming his way this year. I think that's all the guaranteed money in one season, kind of like what the Bears did with uh, Glennon. And no, he's caught one pass. Officially, one pass for nine yards. That's what Marcus Wheaton has done in, what, three three games? Because he didn't play. His first game of the season was against the Steelers. So week three, four, and five. He's- There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Played in three games. He's got one ball. And, um, you know, if he's getting $6 million this year, um, he's probably made you know what, maybe a, a million of that so far, million and a quarter, million and a half maybe, you know, if you if you want to divide it up, it's, you know, six million divided by four is one and a half. So we've played four games already. So he's got one and a half. He's working on two million and he's caught one pass. So that's a solid investment. And by the time, and let's just say, you know, not giving him the benefit of the doubt at all. Um, let's just say he takes the full six weeks. So he's going to miss week six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and 11. Let's say he comes back week 12. So he'll have uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. He'll have 17 games or six games, you know, weeks 12 through 16 because weeks nine is a, is a buy. So one of those weeks is technically, you know, not going to count against that uh, to that total, if you will, because we got week nine off for the buy but he's going to miss week six, seven, and eight. And then week nine will be the bye. So that would be the fourth week. So best case scenario, he's back week 10 against the uh, Packers to start the second half of the season. Worst case scenario, it's week number 12 or 13, where he'll play in the last four or five games of the season. You know, when he'll be working on catch number two in the third quarter of the year, fourth quarter, excuse me. At the tail end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, that's where he'll be working on trying to get catch number two on the season. So that's what we've gotten out of Marcus Wheaton so far. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a real thing. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not joking about that. That's that's for real. So anyway, let's see if I can scare up any other uh, topics real quick before we dive into our talk with. Matt Stevens. Um, couple things. We got uh, good news. Um, uh, 
The Bears have made a few roster moves. Um, Tanner Gentry is back on the team. Promoted to the active roster yesterday, day before, one of the two. And um, Deontay Thompson released in his stead. So, um, you know, that happened. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see Deontay Thompson uh, being the one that gets the uh, gets the hatchet. But uh, he uh, he muffed two kick returns. You know, the ball rolled past him or he had to go back and get him, that kind of thing. You know, obviously the receiving core leaves a lot to be desired. Pretty much any team in the NFL right now. Um, you know, I was surprised that he was the expendable one, but uh, he'll be, he's gone. Uh, Tanner Gentry promoted to the active roster, hopefully to capitalize on the offseason chemistry he built with our brand new rookie quarterback, and hopefully that will translate onto the field. So right now we got Trey McBride and Tanner Gentry and Kendall Wright as one, two, and three in our receiving core, and you'd have to think um, that we'll probably start to see Josh Bellamy out there uh, again if we run any four-man sets or, 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 or what have you, or maybe we'll just throw some more tight ends that we're not going to throw to uh, as well. So that's, that's always an option for us. But uh, Bellamy's still on the team. He's still on the roster. He uh, played on Monday night. He was just strictly on special teams. So, um, you know, you'd think with the absence of, of Thompson that that opens a spot uh, for him uh, to, to go out there a bit on, uh, on Sunday against the, uh, Ravens. So, or one would think anyway, but Tanner Gentry is back and hopefully he sticks around this time and, uh, he and Trubisky can, uh, you know, pick up where they left off in the Tennessee game with that 45 yard touchdown catch, uh, in the dress rehearsal game and, uh, see if, uh, we can keep things rolling that he had going with Trey McBride earlier in the football game, that big catch that got called back. So, and then uh, last thing I want to talk about before we get to uh, Matt Stevens, uh, saw yesterday actually that uh, former uh, second-round pick uh, Stephen Paya, who's currently with the Cowboys, he spent some time with the Redskins after he left the Bears, uh, retired yesterday, uh, the age of 29. Um, I didn't uh, read too much into it as far as like you know was he is he one of those guys that's retiring early while he still has all his marbles kind of thing or was it uh was it an injury thing you know that 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 just didn't want to have to try to fight or rehab through something else but uh nonetheless he is uh he's called the quits he's hanging it up and um you know we wish him all the best he was um Stephen Pye was a good pick for us you know the only reason that he isn't still a bear is because um his last year on his rookie contract was Tressman's last season in Chicago in 2014 and um, we moved to a 3-4 when John Fox and Fangio, um, you know, came to town and he didn't really fit into the 3-4 three and three, four, uh, plans. He was a little too small to be a nose tackle and then a little too short and slow to be a, a defensive end, I guess, you know. But uh, uh, nonetheless, he went to Washington and he's been with, he reunited with Marinelli in... Um, in uh, Dallas the last couple of seasons, I believe. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, going to be tough for the Cowboys uh, to lose him, especially at this point in the season. Then with the other news of the the NFL upholding the uh, uh, suspension against uh, Ezekiel Elliott after they lost another court hearing. So that suspension goes into effect immediately. So the NFL really doesn't want the Cowboys (laughs) returning to the playoffs this year to go ahead and snag Ezekiel Elliott 
from a team that's already struggling uh, so far this year. Two and three is where the Cowboys are at. But um, anyway, to sum up, all the best to Stephen Pye. Like I said, he was a good pick for us. Uh, the only reason he wasn't still around is not because he wasn't productive, but he didn't quite fit into that 3-4 scheme the Bears have moved to since John Fox has been in town. So, uh, Anyhow, let's go ahead and uh, step aside and bring in our friend Matt Stevens to help us preview Week 6, Bears at Ravens. Game number two of the Trubisky era takes the rookie out from the bright lights of national TV and Monday Night Football on the road for the very first time. And he'll be heading out to uh, Baltimore to take on the Baltimore Ravens and to help us out previewing this football game, our friend Matt Stevens from Ravenswire. Matt, welcome back to the show. Uh, Thanks for having me once again. So, Matt, tell me, um, you know, the Ravens were one of the more intriguing teams to me coming into the season, you know, the, the, the AFC North with the, with the Bengals, you know, winning the division a couple of times, the Steelers getting in there. Uh, the Ravens have kind of been, you know, since they won the Super Bowl in 2012, kind of been, you know, they've made the playoffs once or twice, but they haven't quite been themselves since then. And this was kind of the year that everyone was kind of expecting something from them. So week one, 20 to nothing win on the road at Cincinnati. That's coming out of the gates the way you want to see it. Week two, you you beat up a little bit on on Cleveland, and then week three, London. Uh, not only did you lose to the Jaguars, you lost forty four to seven to the Jaguars. I don't think anyone saw that one coming. So, what was the the difference between weeks one and two, and then playing the way you did against the Jaguars week number three? Aside from obviously the time zone difference. Well, I mean, I, I think the first thing that you have to look at is, is like you mentioned, the time zone difference, the, the traveling to London. Uh, that's difficult on any team. Right. And, and it's difficult, especially going against a team like the Jaguars, who have done it now for, what, like the last five years? Something like that, uh, yeah. That, that they have a little bit of, you know, some things down that the Ravens probably don't, obviously. Uh, that makes life a little harder. You're playing against a team who, who actually can probably treat that more like a home game especially since Jacksonville doesn't have a whole lot of people showing up for their own home games right? Um, as it is. So realistically, yeah, I think that kind of, that hurt. But uh, from a more fundamental level, uh, from, from a team-based level, I, I think you, you saw the Jacksonville Jaguars build the blueprint for, for what you need to do to, to beat up on this Ravens uh, team. For one, uh, Ravens offense has not been all that great all season long. Now, granted, you know, the first two weeks – they put up a, a decent number of points, nothing crazy against either team. But I think if you look at both those teams, uh, I mean, it's it's the Cleveland Browns who are 0-5 currently and the Cincinnati Bengals who were without uh, Vontaze Burfick, their, their, their starting linebacker, and uh, Adam Pacman-Jones, their, their starting cornerback. So, you know, that makes life a little bit easier for you if you're in offense. Um, so, so the offense was already kind of like questionable. Then going in, in, into to week three against the Jaguars, what they did was they attacked the linebackers. This is a very young linebacking core. Uh, after they after Baltimore released Elvis Doomerville or, or let him kind of go this this off season, mm. uh, you know they, they got a lot younger, and it didn't help that uh, Albert McClellan, their, their kind of veteran linebacker, uh, plays a little bit of special teams as well as as a kind of a, a rotational 
uh, uh, set in, in that linebacker group, he got injured. He's, he's out for the rest of the year. So mm-hmm. now you're, you're handing it off to rookies and second-year guys, uh, and they were already kind of questionable when covering uh, tight ends and running backs. And, and you know, you, you lost Brandon Williams uh, in, in after week two. Uh, so you lost that interior defensive line, the guy you paid $54 million for this, uh, this offseason. So what Jaguars did, they ran it right at the middle, right where Brandon Williams was, or what should have been. Uh, and then they, they used Mercedes uh, Lewis uh, at tight end all against the linebackers. And what you saw all game long is every single linebacker chasing Lewis into the end zone as he had three touchdowns on the Yeah, game. I was going to say, didn't he score uh, three touchdowns <laughs> in that game? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, three touchdowns, and I, I think the stat before that, he's like he hadn't scored three touchdowns in like three seasons, <laughs> um, it, something like that. So it's like you know, it, like billion years old. Mercedes Lewis suddenly had a, a a a game for the ages, and that's I mean, it was just simple drag routes across the middle of the the field. It was it was nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like they were doing anything super exciting. You just beat up on those linebackers, uh, and that kind of transferred into Week Four with the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So was that more of a, a hangover, a London hangover thing, or did the Steelers do the same thing that the Jags did? Almost exactly what the Jaguars did. I mean, mm. obviously the, the Steelers don't have as good of a defense, uh, so it wasn't 44-7. to Right. Um, but they, they did a lot of the same things, and that's why Le'Veon Bell suddenly went from, you know, people questioning if he's ever going to get that big contract. He, he looked terrible for, through the first three games. Uh, suddenly busted off 144 yards. Well, you know, you, you shovel pass to him here and there. You go ahead and run him up the gut, again, with, with Brandon Williams missing. Uh, and then you go ahead and send him on routes uh, against, you know, linebackers. Yeah, they, they did almost exactly the same thing. Uh, and it, it paid off well. They were able to move down the field pretty efficiently. Uh, and then, you know, again, with without the defense kind of getting takeaways, and, and setting the tone for the game and, and allowing Baltimore to get the short field, uh, the offense just sucked. I mean, nine points, uh, you know, is what they were able to go ahead and put up. That's that's not going to get the game done. Uh, regardless of how good the defense was against a team like Pittsburgh, nine points is not going to get you a win. Right. So looking at last week, you go out to Oakland, you take on the Raiders, 30-17. Uh, to 17. So you guys put some points on the board. I think you even had a defensive touchdown or two in there somewhere. Now I know how, you know, yeah. the team probably feels better about being on the winning streak and, you know, winning track and and everything, but as a fan from the outside looking in, do are you happy with the win over the over Oakland outside of just getting a win period, but are you happy with the win or are you like, well, yeah, Derek Carr wasn't there, we beat a shorthanded team, you know, how are fans feeling about that win against the Oakland? I mean, fans are, are looking at it very optimistically, and, and I think you're, you're getting two, two sides of this. You've got a fan who's looking at it really optimistically. This is great. We're back winning. Uh, you know, and, and it looked like a very dominant effort, very much like what we saw in week one and two. Mm-hmm. Those people that know maybe a little bit more about football or, or have watched this and seen this team do this repeatedly, uh, I mean, it's great. It's, it's nice to get a win. We're three and two. Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, going into the season, if if most people would have said if, if the Ravens are three and two coming into week six, that's a pretty solid start. I mean, that's, that's not bad. Um, but watching that team, watching the way that they won, it was very much a, uh, you know, if Derek Carr was in there, I, I don't know if, if the Ravens pull that one out. Mm. But that being said is they did some positive things. They, they returned to the same things that they did 
defensively. They shored up some of those linebacker issues that we saw, um, primarily pushing uh, Kamale Correa out of uh, linebacker, kind of giving him a very few number of snaps. If I am correct, it was like three snaps over the entire game. Hmm. Uh, and he'd previously been the starter. And uh, putting in Patrick uh, Anwasor uh, in there as as the starter uh, primarily. So, you know, doing small things like that, okay, they're starting to tweak. They're, they're starting to figure out what their problems are, and they're starting to fix them. That's a positive. But, I mean, even with the offense, it, it flowed through the, the big passing attack. I mean, three big gains to uh, wide receiver Mike Wallace. But some minor things that could be done better uh, defensively defensively as well but it, it is a good foundation and I think most fans are happy with what they've got but there's a certain cautious optimism I mean after week two uh, we kind of saw what happened to, to Baltimore in the third game so uh, I don't think anyone's taking any game for granted at this point right and and you know you saw what how the Jags and the Steelers had success against the Ravens and the Bears may not be good at it at, at many things but one of the things they are good at is running the football and we have one of the better interior lines in the league, you know, with sitting white hair and long going across the the middle like that. Is there any, you know, maybe fear is not the right word, concern that the Bears might be able to do what Jacksonville and the Steelers did on their successful outings against the Ravens? Well, I, I think so. I mean, I think if you looked at what Baltimore did to Jacksonville, they they dared Blake Bortles to throw. Mm. And he was actually successful. Uh, so, I mean, if you're the Ravens, I think you're going to do the same thing to, to Trubisky. Sure. Uh, sure. The, the important stat to, to note is that in Baltimore, since 2008, the Ravens are now 9-0 and against rookie quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, that's not a positive if you're Trubisky. If you're right. coming into Baltimore, that's not the stat you want to hear. But, you know, that's exactly what you do. You, let, you, you put it on Trubisky, you, you load up that, that front seven, you put everybody against the, the line of scrimmage and say, please, throw it. I, I want you to go ahead and test Jimmy Smith. I want you to test Brandon Carr. I want you to test uh, Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson, please, uh, with, with whatever wide receivers you have. Um, <laughs> you know, that's what I would do if, if, I, was, if I was the defensive coordinator. Um, let's see if we can, you know, 10 against the line of scrimmage. Let's see what you can do. Uh, you know, if Trubisky can, can do it, then that's great. But uh, I, I wouldn't be too worried about the run game um, if, if you're Baltimore, if you're a fan of Baltimore, they've allowed some yardage. Uh, most of that's been through Brandon Williams not being there, um, which it also looks like he's going to be out this week as well. He missed practice both today and yesterday. Uh, so that kind of puts him on the short list for being out once again. But, you know, you're, you're going to try it. It's going to be early in the game. It really depends on if, you know, Baltimore's offense, if they can put 14 points on the board and, and get a get a good lead, they're going to, you know, Trubisky's going to have to throw it. And that's, that's where Baltimore is going to do most of their damage is, is from the lead. No, I, I agree. That would definitely be key. If, if I'm the Ravens, I want to, I want to get off to a fast start. I mean, even if you put 10 points on the board in, in, we, you know, especially when Glennon was in there, that might as well be a hundred um, for <laughs> being able, I mean, consistency was not something that we were, uh, you know, that we were good at in those first four four games, you know, not even being consistently bad. You know, we just had, we had two great days uh, against Atlanta and Pittsburgh. We came up just short against Atlanta and we won the game against Pittsburgh. And then we did two completely horrendous days against Tampa Bay and Green Bay where nothing went right from the very beginning. So, 
you know, we, we've seen Jekyll and Hyde from this team. We kind of got a mixture of it against Minnesota on Monday night where it was, you know, one one unit in the defense was dominant in the first half and then the offense was kind of sputtering along. And in the second half, you know, Minnesota was able to take advantage. They switched quarterbacks and, you know, they took Bradford in there who after, I mean, if you watch that game on Monday night, Bradford had no business being out there. He was not ready to be playing. It was just, I mean, the Bears beat up on him, you know, redheaded stepchild and all. I mean, that guy was, he was, (laughs) he had no business being out there. I mean, my dad texted me during the game saying that Bradford shouldn't be out there and we're Bear fans, for Christ's sake. We don't want to lose to the Vikings. <laughs> I was like, you know what, for for his sake, you know, he should not be out there. For our snap, for our sake, I hope he plays every single snap because he's awful yeah. tonight. It was like, we'll win this game if Bradford stays in there. But, you know, that, that would be the strategy if, if I'm the Ravens. You want to put it on Trubisky. And not because he can't handle it, but like you and I were talking about before we got started, the team around him isn't necessarily prepared to get into a shootout with a team or play from behind the way that uh, they would if the Ravens got off to a fast start. Well, yeah, exactly. And and honestly, I mean, what, what Baltimore has done and the reason why they're, they're not to know against rookie quarterbacks is because even without a start, I mean, you're going to see blitzes from every single possible player. Uh, you know, Weddle's going to blitz from, from uh, free safety. You're going to see cornerback blitzes. You're going to see, you know, linebacker blitzes. You're going to see defensive linemen drop back into coverage. They're going to give Trubisky every possible look you could ever see, including a few that really just don't make any sense. And I don't know why you do it outside of, let's see if, let's see how quickly he can pick the stuff up. Can he play on the fly? Can he ball? Uh, and, and, you know, just, just get this stuff out instinctually. Uh, most rookie quarterbacks can't, um, including, you know, for high first round picks. It takes a little while, and, and you know it's even worse when your your staff around you isn't all that great. Uh, so you know Trubisky's going to have his work cut out for him in a lot of different ways. But you know, I mean, like you mentioned with with the Bears, this has really been the same case with the Ravens as well. Who knows what version of this team is going to show up? I mean, the defense could allow uh, you know 400 yards like they did to to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who you know, if you've been watching football for any period of time. Blake Burles is not a 400-yard type of guy Nope. Uh, ever. Um, <laughs> he's not a three-touchdown-in-a-game type of guy. So, uh, you know, it, who knows? Who knows what type of version the, of the Ravens are going to show up? And I think that's why a lot of Baltimore fans are kind of taking this one game at a time and taking it with a, a certain grain of salt uh, as, as to which, you know, you mentioned it, uh, Jekyll and Hyde version will, will actually pop out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's talk about your offensive uh line uh you lost ricky wagner in uh, to free agency he's in detroit now uh, i was just skimming over some stats and seen flacco's been sacked nine times so far uh in the first five games he's, he's played in all five games hasn't he yes okay yes. so he was healthy enough to play he's been sacked nine times he's been taking a lot of hits or did that all happen against jacksonville and pittsburgh and how did those how did those sacks come about well actually i mean he's been in fact, generally speaking, like once, twice every game, okay. uh, except for week five, he was kept completely clean, oh. uh, at least from sacks. He, he had a few hits, but uh, I mean, against Mario Edwards Jr. and, and Khalil Mack, that is That's probably a tall the, order, the yeah. oddest stat you're going to see is, is that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, he's actually been pretty clean. If you look at the quarterbacks who have at least 100 uh, attempts, you, you'll see that, uh, I mean, Flacco is, I think, 12th 
and the lowest number of sacks uh, this season. So we, so we actually had pretty solid offensive line play. Now, Ricky Wagner, uh, you know, went away in uh, free agency. Uh, then the Ravens had injury after injury after injury after injury uh, right, yeah. on, on offensive line. I mean, they're down starting their old right tackle at left guard currently. And then Marshall Yonda, the best offensive lineman in, in football bar none, uh, went down with a season-ending injury earlier this season. So now they're putting in uh, a, a guy that you know was off the practice squad, Matt Skura, who went down last week. So now they're starting fifth-round rookie and, and London-born Jermaine uh, I'm going to butcher his name every single time, uh, Illuminor. Um, you know, they're, they're going to probably start him this game as well. So, uh, but that everything, you know, being what it is, is, is the Ravens are actually one of the better offensive lines total all. I mean, pro football focus, I think has them rated uh, fourth overall. And generally speaking, it's, it's just been, they've, they've put big guys in there and primarily uh, the guy that I've, I've paid the most attention to has been center Ryan Jensen, who, I mean, last week did did Oakland dirty. Hmm. Uh, I mean, there, there were a few times where you see Jensen, the center, ten yards off the ball, while you know the play's going on behind him. He's just destroying the people that are in front of him. Um, you know that, that helps, and that's kept Flacco relatively healthy. Uh, it's kept him upright, and that's allowed the run game to to be one of the better in the league, despite I mean having a, a, a no name backfield really. Uh, so it, it's they've been pretty impressive, uh, despite the five people that are on injured reserve right now. <laughs> okay, um, how's Ronnie Stanley doing? He was your top pick last year, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely uh, fantastic. I mean, he, he's one of the anchors of that offensive line at left guard and at right guard. You've had Austin Howard, who again is also or a uh, right tackle, excuse me, uh, who, who's been exceptionally well. So, so Stanley at left tackle. Uh, and, and Howard at right tackle have been kind of your bookends, and, and a big reason why Flacco has only been sacked nine times this season. Uh, so Stanley has done exceptionally well, and actually last week uh, he, he's from Las Vegas, Stanley is, uh, and with the shooting he, he uh, donated $1,000 for every passing play in which he did not allow a sack, hmm. a hurry, or a uh, quarterback hit, and he donated uh, $26,000 out of, 27 uh, possible passing plays. Wow. So that kind of tells you exactly how well he's doing right yeah. now. So I'm looking at your, your wide receiving core. You got, uh, <laughs> you got Mike Wallace, you got Jeremy Macklin, you got uh, the ageless Ben Watson uh, out there, but I also see that you're 31st in the league on passing yards per game. How is that possible with, with guys like Macklin and, and, and Wallace? I mean, these are, these are guys that are burners to get you to get downfield, or at least they were at one point in time. I think Wallace still is, but you know, not really getting the numbers at least in, in as far as stats are concerned to 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 reflect that. Yeah, I mean, it, it uh, throughout the first four games, if we ignore last week, throughout the first four games, uh, your primary burners, your your outside guys, Brashad Perryman, who was a, a first round pick uh, three years ago, and then Mike Wallace. Uh, had a combined, I'm trying to think, I think it was uh, something like four or five receptions for like a grand total of like 38 yards or something <laughs> uh, over the entire four-game span. Uh, but they had been targeted something like 28 times. Um, primarily what we've seen out of this offense has been two things. Exactly what that is, which is a lot of guys 
being targeted, either the ball being a little bit off and, and, and that's on Flacco, or in the case of Perryman primarily, uh, it hitting him right in the hands and it hitting the ground. Hmm. Uh, guys have just done a terrible job catching the ball. Um, in addition to that, they've also done a terrible job running routes. Hmm. Just awful. Um, now, on, on the flip side of that, part of, of the reason why things have not panned out so well through those first four games was because uh, I guess Baltimore as a whole were kind of thinking their offensive line was not going to be as good as it actually is. Mm. So they were playing kind of the New England play- passing game, which is 30 your running backs, 30 your tight ends, keep it really short. Let your guys make a play with the ball in their hands. However, when you throw three yards past the line of scrimmage, uh, you might as well just run it. So defenses were just choking up on the line of scrimmage, uh, clouding you know the, the first five, seven yards, and essentially that wasn't giving uh, Flacco and wide receivers any room to, to throw and catch. Yeah, you're... Uh, and then, of course, then, then the, the extra of that is when you're running the ball so well, well, now they're going to choke up even further for the run, so you're, just, you're kind of playing against yourself. You're not allowing yourself the, those few seconds to get guys down the field, uh, which was their problem earlier on. They fixed that a little bit last week by Flacco had a little bit more trust in his pocket, which is something that he he said the uh, you know he was uh, pretty terrible at in the first four games, and he was completely right. And then uh, you know just just those deep routes. I mean, Mike Wallace hit for 57, 52, and I think twenty seven yards. He had a total of one hundred and thirty three on the game over three receptions. Wow. That backed the Oakland Raiders right up. Uh, and it opened up the running game. It opened up the, the short passing game. Uh, and it, it did a lot of the things that, that Baltimore had not done previously, and it did them well. Uh, but I think ultimately my biggest complaint has been the players just kind of suck. Um, Baltimore's not known for, for being an offensive juggernaut, and they're playing into that pretty heavily uh, this season by just, just not making the catches and making the plays that really they should as an NFL team. But somehow, with the roster of running backs that I've never heard of before, you're sixth in the NFL <laughs> running the football. So, you know, it's like, how the hell is that happening? If if you got you got gay guys that are for the most part household names in Macklin and uh, Wallace, and you you know, you're everybody knows a first round pick in Perryman and, and things like that, and then you got three guys that seemingly could have been pulled off the street as far as name recognition is concerned. But you got a top ten rush offense. I mean. How's that working in Baltimore? Well, I mean, the Ravens came into this offseason uh, uh, stating repeatedly that they were going to put more effort into running the ball. They, they got away from that last year, and it showed. Uh, so a lot of it has been just, I mean, if we do it enough, you're eventually going to crack one. Um, so that's kind of what's happened. Now, that also being said is, again, the offensive line has been playing out of this world. They've been running it uh, right up the gut primarily, and it's been working a lot. Those guys have, have been really been killing it. But, I mean, Baltimore has had multiple injuries at running back as well. I mean, Kenneth Dixon uh, was expected to, to be the starting running back uh, in addition to Terrence West. He was out uh, before the start, season even started. Now Terrence West uh, appears like he's also going to be out this week uh, with a calf injury after injuring himself uh, like his third carry last week. So a lot of it has been just kind of the next guy stepping up, Javorius Allen. Uh, he has taken over the role that, that Danny Woodhead had or should have had all season long. Woodhead also went down with a season-ending injury. 
you're probably going to hear those words a lot, season-ending injury in this conversation. Well, I mean, especially since the Bears are part of that conversation. I mean, we, 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 if we were in college, we would major in season-ending injuries. It's, <laughs> it's amazing, you know. It's, it, it is ridiculous uh, yeah. how, how injured this Ravens team is. Uh, as of right now, we're at 18 players on injured reserve. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it, you know, honestly, there's probably two or three that, that, that could very well make it there uh, in the next few weeks if they can't go ahead and get healthy. Uh, they've yeah. been on there all, on the injury report all, all, all season long. So, you know, it, it's Terrence West has done okay. He hasn't been great, uh, but they've kind of rotated through those backs. So if you look at any, any single one of them, Javorius Allen, Terrence West, and now Alec Collins, I mean, none of them look like a feature back on the stat sheet, but they've been running all of them consistently and, and, and using all of them in different ways uh, in order to kind of chalk up all those yards. Um, and in the last few weeks, the, the big guy who has gotten a, a lot of touches on the ground has been Alex Collins, uh, who was with the Seattle Seahawks. And I don't know what they do over there, but they know how to breed running backs. Yeah. And uh, he, he's been killing it. He's had a little bit of a fumble issue. Uh, Coach John Harbaugh publicly called him out and said that he's on a short leash over it, and uh, we didn't see a fumble last week. But he, I mean, he's a guy that's been able to crack off, you know, 50-yard gains all of a sudden and and, and make some plays. And Javorius Allen uh, has been primarily used as kind of like a third-down back, uh, and and has been used more in the passing game again, taking over that role that Danny Woodhead would have had had he uh, been able to be healthy. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it's it's a weird mix, and you're completely right in the fact that you know it, it's it's a it's a list of names that, I mean certainly you're not picking any of them for fantasy at the start of the season for sure, right. uh, but they've they've made it work. Yeah. Um, but uh, but again, I think realistically that that goes to the offensive line. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree with that. So let's switch gears over to the defense, and you know your defense is seemingly full of people that at one point or another I wish the Bears had. You know, the, the, the year that Terrell Suggs got drafted, the Bears had like the number four pick in the draft and we passed on him. And um, um, who else? Um, oh, Tony Jefferson. He's been a guy on my want list for the last couple of years with all the safety trouble the Bears have been having. Uh, C.J. Mosley, he was somebody I wanted the Bears to draft when he was coming out. They took Kyle Fuller and then like two picks later, Mosley got picked by the Ravens. And, you know, he's been pretty good for you guys. And, and uh and what and whatnot, and I've also kind of marveled at, you know, how lucky Ozzie Newsom has been in the draft, where he looks like a genius every time because instead of trading up to go <laughs> get guys, he sits and waits, and they just fall into his lap. You know, like the year that you guys yeah. drafted Timmy Jernigan, he was supposed to be a mid first round pick. He fell into your lap in like the fifties in the second round. It's like, yeah. how does that happen? You know, and he was somebody that the Bears were mocked to pick a few times, and instead he falls into the second round and falls into the lap of of the Ravens, and there he is with with his first and his second round pick that year. You guys got two first round picks, so it's kind of always marvel at how you know that always happens to to Newsom. He just seems to come off like a genius, and then he makes <laughs> you know the signings you guys have in the secondary. You know, I'm already not looking forward to it. With you, you got Brandon Carr, who's looking for new life in Baltimore. Eric Weddle, who's on a revenge tour from getting booted out of San Diego. Tony Jefferson, you know, uh, gets the big money but goes to a good team in, in Baltimore and so on. You know, the secondary looks daunting on paper. 
Yeah, I mean, you're completely right. The the Ravens did a lot over the last two seasons, both draft equity and with, you know, just cold, hard cash of bringing guys in for that secondary. And it's something that's been, been absolutely needed. Uh, you know, in, in Eric Weddle, you help shore up that free safety spot that was, um, you know, it has been kind of missing somebody since some Zed Reed. Uh, they've tried a few draft picks there, have not panned out. So, cool, bring in Weddle. We know he's good. Uh, you bring in Tony Jefferson again last year with, with Weddle in there. They, they missed somebody at that strong safety spot. They put in Darius Webb for both of them essentially being a, a, a free safeties. You know, you need that enforcer. You need that guy that's going to go ahead and crack somebody when he comes over the middle, and Jefferson's been that. Uh, he's also been really good on, on blitzes, and he's been good uh, in a little bit of coverage that he's had to do. Uh, you got Jimmy Smith as your primary corner. He's been healthy for the most part now. Uh, he's been dealing with an Achilles injury since uh, last week, but you know, he's been healthy and he's been looking like the shutdown corner that, that Ravens fans knew he was from the get-go, mm-hmm. uh, but he's finally showing it this year. And then, you know, I, I think I said it on the podcast uh, when you had me on last time, I think cornerback Brandon Carr was the best signing this team made this year. And that, that's going over a guy like uh, Tony Jefferson. That's uh, going over the top of a guy like Danny Woodhead or Jeremy Macklin or uh, re-signing Brandon Williams uh, on the defensive line. It's a signing that was super low-key. A lot of people hated it for how much money they gave him, but you know what? He's been healthy every single week, and the guy has three interceptions over the first handful of games, uh, which is more than he had in Dallas in years uh, mm-hmm. combined. So, you know, they, they've done a great job of kind of locking down that secondary. Now, it, it, they, they've lost a little bit of that over the last two weeks, or excuse me, three weeks. Um, and, and again, most of that has been through the linebackers kind of switching off uh, coverage a little bit down the field to, to the safeties and stuff. But, you know, overall, they've, they've been really, really solid about being able to not only lock things down, but uh, get takeaways, which is, has been super important to this team uh, being as successful as they have been. So aside from Terrell Suggs making very, at times, hilarious appearances on Ballers on HBO, um, <laughs> I see that he's gotten four sacks so far this year i mean is is this guy going to play forever or because this is what year 14 or something like that for him now yeah it's oh god it's it's yeah 14 15 i think it's this 15 um yeah i mean he he has been almost ageless this year uh and a a lot of that i think i'm going to attribute to the fact that he had in his 15 year career never actually trained with the ravens during the offseason uh, he's been kind of doing it on his own in his home in, in, in Arizona, doing his own thing. This is the first year that he came into the off-season training facility uh, and, and kind of put in work that way. Mm-hmm. He looked slimmer than he ever did in training camp. He looked faster. Uh, he looked, uh, you know, he looked younger than he ever has uh, over the last, you know, handful of seasons. And it's paid off this season. He's been healthier this season, uh, which is something that you know you could not say over the last couple of years for him. Uh, and, and the Ravens have also done a great job of kind of rotating him out with some of the younger guys, so that way he's not you know, he's not taking as many snaps as he did three years ago. Uh, and, and he's just been able to be far more productive. Now, some of that is is the fact that you know they have guys behind him that can kind of take on that role. Uh, and, and as you know, I mean, Suggs, while he gets sacks, really his his biggest asset has never been his sack production. It has been more that he's a great run stuffer in addition to that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so having guys behind him that can kind of take on those dual roles has allowed him to just stay fresher throughout the season. And, and hopefully this is the same version of Suggs we see, you know, week 17 uh, as the Ravens are trying to push into the playoffs. But um, yeah, no, he, he's, he's definitely been a lot better. And, and again, I attribute that all to uh, his off season conditioning. Yeah. I, I've always been impressed with Suggs, not only with his production, but I mean, especially in the last, several years I mean and he's gotten hurt a few times but they've always been oh he ruptured an Achilles he tore this he broke that and it's like and and, you know it's like well you're getting to those 9 10 11 year careers you hear about injuries like that well that's that's got to be it right and like no actually he might actually he's going to go on injured reserve he might be back before the year is done what no he's not that's insane and of course he does and then he comes back like he never got hurt and you know, things like that. So, I mean, I've always been impressed with the guy and I want to know what's in the water where he lives because I need some of that. <laughs> uh, I, you and me both, man, you and me both. I'm actually hobbled right now with a bit of an injury myself. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it's, you know, again, I, I think it just goes back to his work ethic. I mean, for as, as goofy as a guy as he is, and, and I mean, he really is uh, even in training camp. I mean, he's making jokes. He's, he's yelling at people. He's, you know, he he does the stuff, same stuff that you see in other interviews, and and you know when he enters the stadium and stuff like that. That's that's him year round. Um, you know, for as goofy as he is, he he really does a great job of putting in the work, and when when he has to. And again, previous seasons, you know, he's shown up a little fat to training camp, uh, but he busts his butt when he's there, and he goes ahead and gets slimmer, and he and he's he's you know back to his old sug self by by week one. Um, but yeah, this year just absolutely. I mean, he, he was back to his old Sug self by the first day of OTAs. Um, and that's, that's certainly helped him a lot this year and hopefully not getting injured at all, which actually he's yet to be on the injured report uh, once this year. All right. So Matt, I think that will do it for us. Uh, going down, the going down the road, you know, after this Sunday against the bears, you're at Minnesota home from Miami at Tennessee and then at green Bay. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's an interesting slate of games you have after the Chicago game and three road games out of those four after this, after this home game, you got three out of four on the road. And the one game that's home is a Thursday night game uh, against Minnesota. So not getting a lot of love as far as uh, the home scholars is, uh, is concerned, but at, at, from what I'm looking at, you know, a, a, I don't want to say too tough a road, but not an easy one ahead with Minnesota, Tennessee, Green Bay, you know, and who knows what's going on in Miami these days. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's this is the part of the schedule where, you know, realistically it got a little bit easier. I mean, after playing teams like Oakland, you know, what we thought Oakland was going to be at the beginning of the season, Pittsburgh, even a tough uh, defense like Jacksonville. You know, th- these are the spots where you, you start, I mean, a Miami team, again, like you said, who knows what's going on. Uh, Minnesota, uh, tough defense, but uh, really not a whole lot going on in offense. Uh, you know, you, you start picking those things apart, and it's it's not a terrible part of the year, I think, for them. Uh, uh, hopefully Baltimore, who has not been very good on the road over the last, uh, you know, handful of years with under Harbaugh, hopefully they're able to kind of, you know, uh, pick up some of those wins on the road that they probably shouldn't. Um, but, you know, if, if they go two and two over the next uh, next four games, I'll be pretty happy with that. So speaking of Harbaugh, this will be my last question for you. What's the 
What's the future looking like there? I mean, he's been in, in Baltimore for quite a while now. You guys won a Super Bowl, but that's pretty far in the rear view uh, at this point. Had some disappointing seasons the last couple of years. You know, if if the 8-8 the eight and eight thing keeps happening again, how much rope does, does Harbaugh have left? Well, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to kind of gauge. They gave him a one-year extension this, this offseason. Uh, I mean, he was already locked in for next year anyway. So, uh, but, I mean, that, that felt more or less like a publicity stunt than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not entirely sure that he is as safe as a lot of people assume he is. Mm. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to, I mean, he's not been good over the last couple of seasons. The team has just not been good over the last couple of seasons. And, you know, while you can attribute maybe one, two, three years of that being for injuries, at some point you have to look past the fact that the Ravens have been injured so much, or even look at the fact that the Ravens have been injured so much and go, well, how have you had 58 players on injured reserve over the last three seasons? Now you're 18 again. I mean, you're getting close to averaging 20 players a season on injured reserve. Uh, no team in the league has had that. That is an anomaly that, that you know has to have an explanation. And then in addition, if, if you're going 8-8 eight and eight or worse every single season, um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know how much that's going to, to be an excuse any longer. So for this year, uh, I especially after the way they lost to Jacksonville earlier in the year, I, I absolutely think that uh, Harbaugh's seat is a lot hotter than people give him credit for. Hmm. Um, and, and I don't think that – I mean, we, we saw Steve Bashotti, the owner of, of the Ravens, we saw him fire uh, a coach in Brian Billick after kind of giving him a public uh, display of, of love and support and saying that you know he's here. He fired him that same offseason. Um, and, and, and granted, he went 5-12, and 12, but that was off of a much better season previously. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't think he's, he's very safe. Um, if, we, if we go 8-8 eight and eight or worse this season, there will probably be some rumblings about somebody's going to get canned. Um, and at this point, I mean, five offensive coordinators over what, eight, nine seasons, hmm. it's not going to be the offensive coordinator every single year. I mean, you're going to run out of guys that will eventually coach the offense for you at some point, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's one of those deals of eventually, eventually he's going to get the can and uh, or get you know get canned, and and this very well could be the season if he he if he drops to eight and eight or worse. Right. Well, as as a Bear fan, I can definitely sympathize with your, you know, we probably got more guys on injured reserve than we have healthy on the roster. That has been. I mean, when, when you were talking about you know, averaging this many guys on IR, you know, you were talking about John Fox as well, because that's what's been going on in Chicago, 2015, 2016, 2017. We don't have 18 guys on injured reserve, but we've got about nine guys on injured reserve and seven of them could be helping us right now. You know, I mean, there are like two, there's like a long snapper and one of our late round draft picks that are that, you know, he had a, you know, hangnail in his left hand. So they put him on injured reserve because they weren't going to use him this year. But you got Cameron Meredith out there. You got Willie Young, who just got added to the injured reserve with Clinton, Quentin Demps, uh, DeAndre Hall. I mean, these are guys that could be out there making an impact on this team, and instead they're on they're in street clothes on the sidelines watching the game or watching it from home, like Jarrell Freeman and his torn pectoral are doing right now. So, 
you know, it's uh, and, 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 and it's yeah. week five, for Christ's sake. I mean, week six, we're going in, you know, we're just getting into the second quarter of the season. We've already got a third of our roster at home watching the games instead of playing uh, on the field. And it's, you know, year three of the John Fox era, and that's been the same thing uh, each and every year. So I definitely know where you guys are coming from uh, when it comes to that. You guys have just had a little bit better luck on the field. I mean, even though it's only been maybe an eight and eight or a nine and seven season, it beats the hell out of six and ten and three and three. So, um, but yeah. I definitely feel where you're coming from as far as the and and you also are asking the same questions. It's like you know, it's like I know you've been been you know run you know running into the injuries, but how much are you contributing to them? Is there something you're not doing or something your staff is not doing to keep these players? healthy because it's been like an epidemic watching the bears one after another, you know, just fall, 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 fall. This guy's hurt and he's not dinged up. He's not going to be back in two weeks. He's going to be back in seven months after he has reconstructive surgery on this, or after they reattach the muscle to the bone kind of thing. Those are the injuries that the bears are suffering. And it sounds like that's what's happening to the Ravens too. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if you count this season, that's, that's, less than three and a half seasons and you have 76 guys on injured reserve wow. uh, over that time period. I mean, like I said, you know, for, for any team to get 20 in a season, that's like, wow, they're, they're really injured. That's an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ravens, I mean, like I said, they're at 18 right now. I, it, if the way this keeps going, I mean, they're going to have over 20 easily this season. Um, and, and while that's, you know, again, you can use that as an excuse all you want, but this is the fourth year of it. Uh, at what point is it the field? Well, they've already changed the field. They, they've redone the field in both the stadium and the uh, the, the practice facilities. Okay, well, maybe it's your strength and coordinator guy. Nope. Different guy this year or last year, uh, and, and they kept him on this year. So, uh, you know, at, at some point you have to keep going up the chain of command until eventually you go, all right, well, maybe the coach is just running them too hard. Maybe he's not running them hard enough. Maybe he's doing the wrong things. Maybe he's hitting at the wrong time. Uh you know, you, you start looking at that stuff or you start then looking at Ozzie Newsome and going, well, why did you sign a 32-year-old uh, Eric Weddle? Why, you know, <laughs> why did you go ahead and draft a guy who was injured every single year of college? Uh, somebody eventually has to answer for that. Um, yeah, it's not like you're on an Indian burial ground or something. You know, it, it, right. it's, there's a reason for it. Um, and it's just not an anomaly anymore. It's, it, there's a reason. Yeah, you uh, so somebody uh... eventually has to pay for that. Yeah, you can't just say, well, that's that's football. Football players get hurt. It's like, really? This many for this long? I don't think so. There's There's got to be something exactly. going on. There has to be a deeper explanation for it all. Exactly. I mean, and, and as a writer, I mean, this is probably the single most depressing thing that uh, I can write about. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it does. I mean, honestly, every time I, I see a few people, they go, who's, who's on injured reserve now? That should not be the first question about the team. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, to deal with. And I know the players are, 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 you know, it's never a positive thing and it sucks seeing guys go down. I mean, uh, Dennis Pitta being uh, primary among them. Um, it's, it's tough seeing good guys go down. It's, it's tough seeing guys that could help your team go down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so hopefully the, the, the injuries stop for both the teams so that way they can finally get some guys on the field and, and get things healthy and, and see what the teams can actually do. Uh, because honestly, I, I've, I've thought over the last handful of seasons that Baltimore does have a Super Bowl capable team, you know, as long as they don't go ahead and put half of them on injured reserve. Right. No, I definitely, uh, definitely feel you there. There's been a lot of what if games being played 
as bear fans, as far as that, you know, what if this guy had stayed healthy? What if we didn't lose our quarterback for six games in the middle of the season last year, or, you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's been the game that's been played because when your team's won nine games over the last two seasons, that's going to come up a lot. It's like, what could have been different? What could have we been done to improve? Well, it would have helped if we didn't have 37 guys on injured reserve over the last two seasons. And, you know, that kind of thing. If, if the, you know, guys that really could have been helping us were watching instead of playing, you know, for one reason or another, like you have issues with, with uh, Richard Perryman. We got the same thing drafted in the same class in 2015 <laughs> with Kevin White, you know, three seasons, the guys played in four and a half games. I mean, that's, that's, it's staggering. Like we, to this day, we still don't know what we have in this kid because he hasn't been out there long enough to show us yet. I mean, you can label him a oh, bust. Yeah. <laughs> you can label him a bust just simply because he hasn't been on the field. But is he, though? Is he a bust? Because he hasn't played long <laughs> enough to show us whether he's good or bad. So, you know, but it's, I, it's, it's amazing. I did, I did an article about uh, Perryman earlier this season and uh, about, you know, it, it, is he a bust? Is, is all this different type of stuff? And looking at the list of wide receivers drafted, like in the first two rounds, uh, I mean, Kevin White was like the only one that didn't do well or didn't do better than Perryman <laughs> over this time. Thanks. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I saw that. He's like, he's been, he's played like four games. Now, granted, those four games have been pretty solid, actually. Uh, but four games over three years is not a, not a good stat. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're, when you're playing in your first game ever in year two, that's not good. <laughs> You know, if we're, if we're we're going into year four next year, if the Bears keep him around, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get cut. But if the Bears keep yeah. him around, you know, we're still going to have to go in deep into the season to hit double digits games played for this kid. I mean, that's that's how much he's been out. He he played in three and a half quarters against the the Falcons before he broke his shoulder blade. And that's the last that we've heard of him. So, you know, he's. You know, and, and, and in his defense, or when I tried to defend him, it's just like, we still don't know what we have. You know, you can't call him bad because he gets hurt. He hasn't been out there long enough to show us whether he's good or bad, and that's the most frustrating part about Kevin White. You know, we just don't know what we have, and he keeps well, getting himself hurt, so we, we don't know, you know? Well, it's it's tough because, I mean, honestly, if, if I had to pick out of the two, Kevin White or Brashad Perryman, I'd probably pick Kevin White because at least he has the potential still. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Even if he's injured, then he's not counting as a roster spot anymore. Right. We have Perryman out there running 97% of the snaps. And wow. He has two catches for 15 yards. <laughs> so <laughs> on the season, his 26 grand total yards is probably not going to cut it for the year. I mean, it, it, even Kevin White on injured reserve is probably going to have more injured, uh, more yards than, than Brashad Perryman <laughs> playing every snap. So Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. So yeah, I, I can definitely feel your pain there. I can feel your pain. Well, man, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, let you go. I appreciate the the time, and uh, I had a great time talking to you. Do you guys have a podcast, or where can we find you online? Uh, you can find us at RavensWire.usaToday.com. You can find us on Facebook at the RavensWire, on uh, Twitter at the RavensWire, and you can find me personally on Twitter at uh, Matthew S underscore nfl we're getting ready to start a podcast pretty soon uh but uh not as of yet but the details will be on all those social media channels uh once we do in the next coming weeks all right well we appreciate the time matt stevens ravenswire.com joining us to help us preview bears and ravens week number six matt thanks so much uh thank you for having me
again, want to thank our, our friend Matt Stevens from RavensWire.com and USA Today helping us out to, to preview the game. And uh, didn't I tell you, you guys would kind of feel the pain, you know, because we know the pain. That's why, you know, we know that pain of watching one player after another go down. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of went off on a tangent on our 2015 receivers there uh, with Brashard Perriman and, and Kevin White. <laughs> Luckily, you know, thanks to Kevin White, there's at least one wide receiver in that class that's doing worse than Brashard Perryman. So we have that to hang our hat on, I guess. But uh, that was funny, actually. <laughs> it's like, of course it is. It's Kevin White, you know, but he's, uh, you know, but which would be worse? I mean, which is worse, actually? Is is it worse not seeing Kevin White play, like, at all? Or would it be worse to watch him play like Perriman, like he said, 97% of the snaps and do absolutely nothing with it? You know, it's it's tough. It's a six in one hand, half a dozen. I mean, either way, you walk away unhappy, you know. But uh, would we would we rather sit here and and kind of have the slightest bit of optimism that a healthy Kevin White might be able to help us out someday and that someday will be at least 2018? Um, or is it, you know, is it more painful to have the guy uh, be on the field and do nothing so some would argue that Kevin White has done both in the in the short time that he's been on the field. He has done nothing. Well, I can't really argue against that, but, you know, he's never really had a chance to get any kind of real rhythm going. And, and last year when he did in the game where he had six catches in the first half and stuff like that is the one that he got hurt and knocked out for the rest of the season in. So, you know, three and a half quarters does not a season make, unfortunately, for – I mean, it makes one for Kevin White, unfortunately, but uh, – you know, still haven't, still have no idea. No idea. The guy's not been out there long enough for me to certify him a bust. I mean, you can say he's a bust because he hasn't played and the injuries and so on and so forth. It's a common tale in the NFL. But, um, you know, as far as being a player and not being a bad player, you can't say that about Kevin White. You can't. So anyway, that, uh, yeah. So that's where we went with that conversation. And, um, you know, it, it's uh, to, to kind of look at the X's and O's of this thing. You know, it, it really is kind of up to the Bears uh, about how this thing is, is going to go down. Uh, I mean, like we, like I said last week, we beat ourselves against Minnesota more than the Vikings beat the Bears. You know, we lost that game in the first half when we did not take full advantage of what the Vikings were giving us by trotting out a busted and broken Sam Bradford uh, in the first half. You know, we uh, the defense took full advantage. I mean, hell, they even added to the point total for us. They were the point total in the first half. But penalties and, and you know, uh, you know, even even if you want to call them bad calls uh, on the referees, you know, they were making bad calls against the Vikings as well. And it's just, you know, the 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 penalties that kept coming, the mistakes that were made, you know, the Bears shot themselves in the foot and left at least 10 points out on the field, you know, with, with those, uh, with those plays, you know, that, that play to Trey McBride that easily gets us in the field goal range. Hell, we were inside the 10. We maybe even scored from there. And then the touchdown run that did get called back from Jordan Howard. That's at least 10 points right there. We're going into halftime up 12 to three instead of, you know, being down three to two. I mean, that makes a huge difference. The one touchdown we score on offense in the whole game puts us up, you know, in, in the football game instead of, uh, you know, actually, we scored two touchdowns, but the other one was special teams. So, I mean, that that it's 26 to 20 instead of a 2017 
you know, loss in, in that regard. So that's, uh, yeah, that's what that happened or 27 to 20 actually. But, but I digress. It, uh, didn't go that way. So there's no sense in talking about the what ifs and, and whatnot, but going into this game, um, you know, you, you heard Matt even talking about it as far as their game against the Ravens, you know, the, the, or excuse me, the Raiders last week, um, that the, the Raiders came in, you know, uh, set up to, to, to play against the run, which had been the more successful aspect of their offense. And instead what they did was they managed to get the Raiders to back off by finding Mike Wallace deep down the field. Now we don't have a Mike Wallace on our team. The guy that was supposed to be Mike Wallace just tore his groin again, or not again, but tore his groin. He's going to be out four to six weeks in Marcus Wheaton. That was supposed to be our, our burner, our speed guy, our, our deep threat, uh, if you will. So instead, we got Tanner Gentry that's going to be coming up. We have uh, Trey McBride and, uh, you know, Kendall Wright. And, you know, <laughs> the only one who's even shown a, a pinch of being a deep threat would be Gentry in the preseason with that big catch from uh, Trubisky. That's as close as we've gotten to a deep threat so far this year. So, um, you know, but we're going to have to do something like the Ravens did to the Raiders. We're going to have to get something going in the passing game to get them to back up off of the line of scrimmage so that it can open things up for Howard and Cohen uh, and maybe even Benny Cunningham coming out of the backfield uh, as well. You know, because the the Vikings, they were not, they they were daring Trubisky to throw the ball uh, on Monday. They were absolutely doing it because anytime that Jordan Howard or, 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 or Tariq Cohen carried the football, they were Vikings shooting the gaps. They were all over the place. They're in the backfield. They're on their on our side of the line of scrimmage. And sometimes we got lucky and we were able to run around it, through it, and you know, under it. And and, and but a lot of times we were greeted in the backfield. Tariq Cohen, uh, you know, had uh, caught one pass for negative six yards on Monday. You know, probably one of those stupid screenplays that Doe Logan seems to love so much. But uh, you know, we're gonna have to do something to back the Ravens up off the line of scrimmage to you know, get eight or nine guys out of the box, maybe cut it down to, you know, a much more manageable six or seven guys that, uh, you know, we're more accustomed to facing and uh, so open things up for Howard and Cohen to, to be able to run the football. Play action, I think, is going to be key in this game because if, if you remember that big touchdown pass from uh, Trubisky to Gentry in the preseason was a straight-up seven-step drop play action pass. You know, fake the handoff to the running back, hit the seven step, boom, out of his hands, down the field, boom, into the perfect hands, uh, you know, perfect position into the open hands of, of Gentry for the for the touchdown. Maybe that's play number one uh, on Sunday. I know, And I know we talked about how daunting the Ravens secondary is, but we got to figure something out. You know, we, they talked about how much the, you know, Mercedes Lewis, who is beating the crap out of 30, if he's not, you know, he's he's been in the league forever. You know, that guy's in double digit seasons at least, you know, uh, for the for the Jags. And he tore him up for three touchdowns in that London game. You know, we don't have a Mercedes Lewis, but we we have a Zach Miller and an Adam Shaheen and, you know, even a Deion Sims when he remembers that tight ends are actually allowed to catch the ball. Um, you know, so maybe we do something with them or we get Kendall Wright, Tanner Gentry, uh, Trey McBride doing some of those crossing routes. Uh, that will force some of those linebackers into coverage, get some mismatches going there, you know, something that will get those linebackers off the line of scrimmage to open up the lanes 
uh, for Howard and Cohen because that's our bread and butter. We're better at running the football than we are at anything else right now, but we still have to figure out a way to throw the football in order to be able to run easier than we're going to from play one. Because play one, if we run the football, we're running into a brick wall of about nine or ten Ravens that are just going to be crowding the box. We have to do something that's going to ease that up. That is the objective uh, in, in the first quarter, if not the first half uh, of the football game on Sunday, is to get the Ravens to back up off that line so that the, uh, so that the Bears can breathe a little easier. So play action or just straight up trying to take a few shots down the field, successful or not, that's maybe get them to back up, maybe take one guy off the. So instead of eight guys, we're facing seven or nine guys are facing eight. Every little bit helps. You know, every 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 one body that we remove that that can't hit Jordan Howard is one body less that he has to run through around or underneath uh, on Sunday. So, and then on defense, um, we have to be. We'll want to see first half against the Vikings Bears. You know, we want to see them or the team that, uh, you know, forced some turnovers and made some, you know, forced some mistakes against the Steelers, the team that kept uh, Matt Ryan in that offense under control for ex- all for except that one stupid play to Austin Hooper. So, you know, that's what we want to be, you know, uh, some energy to get around the field, get up the field, get after Flacco. He's a good quarterback, not exactly the most mobile guy in the world. So if he's in the pocket, we're going to be able to get we're going to be able to get him. We just got to get to him. So, um, you know, and then overall, we just got to stop it with the penalties, man. We just got to be smarter or more disciplined or, you know, and when I say smarter, don't get caught. You know, everybody holds. It happens. It's football. Offensive linemen hold. Defensive backs hold. They get a handful of jersey, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it would also help if maybe if the Bears were luckier. That would be nice, too. But, you know, if you're going to do it, you can't get caught. You have to be smarter or be more disciplined and don't do it. One of those things has to happen because these penalties are murderous. It always seems that these penalties pop up at the absolute worst time. The Trey McBride catch, I've been beating that into the ground for the last week. Trey McBride catch, the Jordan Howard touchdown, you know, that, that killed us. Not having those plays count in the first half killed the Bears. That's why we lost the game. Those two stinking holding penalties was the difference in the game, my opinion. So the penalties have to stop. They have to stop or greatly diminish. You know, that's, that's the other thing. So that's what I think can happen. You know, I, I, I think we can do this. I really do. You know, I think the bears can win this game. Will they win the game? Well, the fact that it's on the road is already counting against us. And, uh, you know, the fact that we've been doing this, this, this rotational, odd even thing on the odd number of weeks we've been pretty good you know we've been decent and competitive on these even number of weeks we've been horrendous the, the week two against tampa week four against green bay and now we're on the road you know well the other thing is one three and five we're at home two four and six we're on the road so apparently the road is just what's kicking our ass so hopefully the bears can flip that and uh come home for the last home game of the first half against the Panthers the following week and uh, see what we can do there. But, uh, you know, we need a win. We got to get a win because we can't, uh, we can't go into the middle. We can't go into mid season at, at two and six or one and seven. We just can't happen there. It's, you know, I don't, I don't even want to f- guess what's going to happen if that is the reality of the bears uh, come, come week nine for the buy. So anyway, that's going to do it. We will be back on Monday. Monday. 
Hopefully it will be a victory Monday. We're 1-0 against the AFC North so far with our one victory coming against the Steelers. Can we make it 2-0, pull off our first victory on the road since December of 2015? Can we make it happen? Can Mitch Trubisky get his first win ever as a starting quarterback on the road against these Ravens? Come back on Monday and find out. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.